Thank you for downloading a sermon from the Chapel of the Cross. The Chapel of the Cross is a welcoming, growing, and historic Episcopal Church in Madison, Mississippi. I hope you will join us on Sundays for worship at 7.30 a.m., 8.45 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m., with Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. I also invite you to connect with the chapel online at chapelofthecrossms.org. Again, thank you for downloading this sermon. We pray it will enrich your walk with Christ. God bless you, and we look forward to welcoming you and your family to the Chapel of the Cross. Holy and loving God, write a message on our hearts, bless us, direct us, and send us out. Living letters of the word. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Last week we were on the mountain. Today we find ourselves in the wilderness. The wilderness is a recurring theme throughout the Bible. Major figures, prophets, rulers, even saviors find themselves in the wilderness. And there they find the time and space to think, to pray, and encounter God. However, we might project some of our own preconceptions on these wilderness adventures. We must remove our L.L. Bean colored glasses and realize the context of these wilderness treks. These were not pleasant backpacking jaunts with bracing hikes, toasted marshmallows, and perhaps dropping a line in the local pond. In the ancient world, the wilderness was a place of danger. In the ancient world, the wilderness was a place of chaos. The wilderness was a place of evil. Prolific author Bruce Filer, who gained fame with his book Walking the Bible, wrote about the wilderness. The last thing you notice about the desert is the noise. In preparing for this part of our journey, I steeled myself for the silence. The desert would surely feel isolated, an island of seclusion. This is an assumption that's understandable. We often go to the wilderness for retreat, reflection, and contemplation. And so it's easy to assume that the biblical folk who go into the wilderness, especially Jesus, went for the same reasons. Not so. Filer continues, But once I stepped into the open terrain, I was amazed by the din, the wind whining through the mountains, the sand tinkling against your face, the rocks crunching beneath your feet. The desert may be empty, but it's the least quiet place I have ever been. So in the wilderness, life becomes more extreme, not less so. Interviewed years later about his treks into the Middle Eastern desert, Filer further reflected, The act of going to extreme places opens one up. In the desert, you become very unsure, you don't know where to sit, where to stand, what to eat, what to drink, and you can't survive by yourself. You have to turn to the person you're with, to the group, or then maybe ultimately to someone or something higher. If you think about it, in our culture all we talk about is independence. There ain't no independence in the desert. There's only dependence. Therefore, the first thing you realize when you're in the desert is that you're small and you're needy. And of course, that is rich terrain for finding God. 
And so today, on this first Sunday in Lent, this very odd day when the chapel is suddenly and visually bare, we found ourselves in the loud and treacherous wilderness. What are we to do out here? Lent is a very good time to reflect on our own wildernesses. We live in a very loud world. We subject our mind and souls to electronic, an electronic din of media and devices. Sometimes we self-medicate by some means or another to get the world and our brains to shut up. And that is problematic in its own right. And despite our obvious need for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and of course for God, we refuse their help and companionship. And like a little child, we scream at the world, I can do it myself. Good luck. Reflecting on this conundrum, the wilderness we live in, the lessons the wilderness can teach, and our refusal to learn, we can turn to our Old Testament reading, the covenant between God and Noah after the flood. For a covenant can be an oasis. A covenant can be a lighthouse. A covenant can perhaps even be a guide in the wilderness. We don't talk much about Noah in church anymore. Noah has been unwittingly demoted to cute animal toys in the nursery and children's Bibles. But Noah can still teach us a few things. In today's passage, the great flood is over. The dove has returned with the olive branch. Noah has opened the ark after many, many days. And the earth is finally dry. And God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you. We should take note of that word, for it's not a promise, it's not a contract, it's a covenant. But what is a covenant? And what makes a covenant not exactly synonymous with a promise or a contract? I once heard a quilter reflect on covenants. She remarked that when repairing and restoring old quilts, there was often little hope of hiding the repair and making the quilt look new again. However, when the quilt was stitched back together, it was often stronger than, than before. The process of repairing the breach and binding the cloth back together again made the entire quilt that much more sound and strong. And the same is true with covenants and those relationships, especially with God, which embody the ideal of a covenant. How often, when we find ourselves in conflict with our neighbor or a family member, when we have the courage to speak truth or overcome the temptation of anger and spite, how often is our restored relationship that much stronger? This is the nature of a covenant. The covenant is an, the covenant is an aspirational and forgiving agreement. When we covenant with one another, we hope for the best and perhaps achieve the best. But we also understand that the parties involved are flawed. God certainly understands that we are flawed. And sometimes we fail, and sometimes we fall on our faces. But in a covenant, we do not abandon the relationship. We do not assume that it's dead. 
Instead, we come back together. We remind ourselves of what we love about each other. We confess how we betrayed the covenant, and the relationship is restored. This is the constant refrain of the Hebrew people as they are wandering in the desert after the Exodus. They would get grumpy, they would make poor choices, and God was faithful. Sounds familiar today, too. In this season of Lent, as we contemplate the wilderness and evaluate our covenants, perhaps we can become more aware of where and when we find ourselves wandering in the wilderness. What are the wild places in our lives? And where do we covenant? With whom do we covenant? Where are the profound, unconditional, everlasting relationships in our lives that enable us to navigate our wilderness? If we walk with those folk, with God in the lead, we will undoubtedly survive and thrive in this wilderness. Amen.